to the At Our Best podcast with me, Jason Moore, and Dr. C.K. Bray. Now, this is the podcast where we talk with insanely interesting people about the many ways we can all be, well, at our best. In this episode, we catch up with Dr. Eric Olson about talking to a friend. Remember to subscribe and click on those five stars if you like what you're listening to. Chris, how are you doing? Welcome. Good morning. Good afternoon. How are you doing today, Jason? I'm very well. I'm very well. You look like you are in the beautiful sunshine today. So it is actually so here in Arizona, in the United States, it's cold. So we are about um, 43 degrees Fahrenheit, which I need to look at the Celsius since most of the world is on Celsius, not not Fahrenheit, but it's cold. There's no sun, there's no tennis, there's no pickleball going on today. So I'm working with you is what I'm doing. But then, you know, Chris, what I notice about you is you're a pretty happy guy. You seem to be cheery, even in uh, the depths of winter. But what I'm wondering is, are you the kind of person who like when you're when you're not having a great time when you're a bit down is happy to talk to a friend clearly not me because you've never reached out but some is you know are there are there people that you reach out to in those moments that's because you make me feel bad about myself that's why no, I'm just kidding <laughs> no the the two things and we're going to talk about it today which is is a great topic and we're going to talk about friends and and social but I think the two things. When I'm, I'm feeling down, I'll be serious here for a second uh, and somewhat joking is some good ice cream will always yep. lift the spirits, a little bit of sugar high. And I do think talking to friends that you can trust is is a very important thing to kind of lift your spirits, especially during times that we've had during the past year or so, and move ahead and say, it's not as bad as I think it is. So yes. I, I am about calling, calling friends and, and I'll call you more. But now we have the podcast. So with the podcast, we'll be talking every week or at least this, twice. This is just our therapy, right? for free. <laughs> Chris, well, it's in- interesting that you say that because I'm not I'm not the guy that tends to reach out to friends. I, I process um, I, I'm uh, somewhere in the middle of the extrovert spectrum, the kind of dealing with my worries and woes is not the thing I reach out to. But it's partly because and this is going to sound weird, I don't know how to do it. I, you know, I feel um, weird about it. And, and I want to be better. So I do think it's, I don't know if it's a skill, maybe that's too much, but it, it, it takes a little bit more than just knowing you should do it. And that's why I'm super happy that we have this guest on today. And, you know, I love this guy and there are reasons why. And I'm just going to give you a couple. There are so many. This is one of the kindest human beings you will ever meet. Kind and generous to a T. You know, they're, they're just, for me, that's a superhero trait, kindness. Uh, and he's got it in, in absolute spades. Super humble, even though he doesn't need to be because he's super accomplished, uh, has worked all over the world with huge companies doing important things, but absolutely has retained that that level of humility. But the other thing I would say, this guy is, is a real teacher in my eyes, and he doesn't just teach through his words, he teaches through his actions. Some of the things that I've learned from our guest today have just been from being in his presence and, and in his company, which I absolutely love. Uh, I'd like to introduce Dr. Eric Olson. Hey, Eric, how you doing? I am doing terrific. I can't imagine that I wrote a better introduction for you to give to me, but you did it fabulously. <laughs> now, Eric, I 
tried to describe you based on my connection with you. I'd love to know how would you describe you, either as a human being or as a professional? What, what labels would you put on you? Yeah, um, you alluded to a couple of things that really matter to me. One is I grew up globally. And so my worldview, my thinking, research practice is all on that scale. I, I just feel most at home when I'm about abroad and going around and meeting people who think differently, work differently than I do. So I would say that's one thing. A second thing is I was a psychologist who, like many psychologists, got into the field to better understand him or herself. Uh, and particularly because I dealt with change so much in my life, I really wanted to know what causes people to thrive in the midst of really disruptive change. Um, and lo and behold, talking to a friend turns out to be one of those things that makes a yeah. difference. So we'll, we'll unpack that a little bit. Yeah, but uh, so that's, that's interesting, Eric, because uh, so you're, you're a practicing psychologist, but we're here talking about talking to a friend. We're not talking about talking to a psychologist. Correct. So for you, what's the power in just talking to a buddy? Well, I think I share your characteristics on the introversion extroversion scale in that I definitely tend to fall on the more introverted end, meaning I get recharged by quiet time, thinking of ideas, and then selectively testing those out with a very few people. Mm. Um, as opposed to, say, my wife, who does just the opposite, absolutely opens herself up to people. And by getting reactions, facial expressions, body language and things like that, she starts to make sense. And so we have this yin yang relationship and our talking very much reflects that difference. I'm, I, I can still remember a conversation that I had with Chris. It was probably about a year ago it was in Las Vegas. Um, I was going to say, Eric, tell him where it was. It was Vegas. Let's admit it. Yeah. And <laughs> I the thought this was supposed to stay in Vegas. <laughs> no, no, no. This is one of those conversations. And I had never actually had a sit-down dinner or anything with Chris. Um, but I quickly got the sense that, okay, if this guy was my friend, I would think of him as an intelligent bomb thrower. Because he, he would throw out these provocative questions that would just – paralyzed people to say, what? Did he really ask that question? And it got us going in a different direction as a group at the table. And I still remember that because I love seeing people who can move a group forward in that kind of a dialogue. And Chris was not being a therapist. He was simply being provocative, being a friend who encouraged people to open up and have, with a lack of judgment. Yeah. So I guess you don't have to be a professional to ask people questions. Not at all. In fact, uh, the research that really got me interested in this took place over a nearly three-year period. I followed 60 couples uh, over an almost three-year period. Half of them were going through really difficult times of change. The other half were more or less stable. And I was curious, what do these couples who are not professionals in the, in the psychological world, how do they talk with each other? and particularly those that are going through really disruptive change, how do they talk? Because it turns out that at least half of them knew how to talk with each other in a way that made them as happy as people who weren't going through any disruption at all. So this, this to me was a, a, like a lightning bolt going off in my head that says, talking to a friend in a particular way can actually 
help you to report levels of happiness that are equal to people who are not in distress at all. Mm, that's super interesting. So what, and maybe, maybe Chris, this is, this is a question for you as well. What's going on in our brain when, when we are having that kind of conversation? Oh, and how about this? How about I add a question onto your question and then I'll answer it yeah. because as we're talking about this, what it initially brings up, and, and here we have three older mature gentlemen, you two are much older than I am, obviously from, from the video, you can tell <laughs> but, um, um, but, but, you know, conversations among men, we know the research says that men are lonely, that, um, and, and I'm somewhat generalizing, um, women have a much easier time connecting with others, they connect much faster than men do. But men need that type of calling a friend, you know, just as, as Jason, you said at the beginning, it's somewhat hard. Our brains or social brains, our brains seek out almost a tribe or other individuals for lots of reasons, for belonging, um, you know, for more self-awareness about ourselves, for the ability to see, you know, am, am I keeping up with my tribe? Am I falling behind with my tribe? Um, also, do people like me? You know, do, do people bring me in on things? Do they invite me to things? So. Um, being social, I think, is one of the most important things that we as humans, after, you know, we have food and we have shelter, we obviously, you know, Maslow's, you know, theory there, we, we want to belong with other people. But unfortunately, I think in uh, the world that we live in today, especially with men, and, and Eric, you can talk a lot about, you know, some of your, your patients here, but, you know, are, are men needing it more than ever before? Are we needing to feel like we belong, have people to talk to, and maybe we don't have the tools? So, uh you're, you're, you're going into such rich territory because it's absolutely true that our research shows women actually read men much better than men read women when it comes to understanding what is the conversation that will best move you forward to help you be at your best. It's not clear is that heredity, is that environment or what, but it's just something that is, is well documented. And, and the fascinating thing for me is that social resilience, which is the number one predictor of happiness, is something that we can learn to do, but it's not innate for many of us. So it's a discipline we have to develop, um, either because we're naturally introverted and withdrawn, or because we've had uh, bad experiences in trying to test out our ideas with others. And so we've learned to shut down, uh, some psychologists say that we, we block up to 90% of our creative impulses to share with others by the time we get through high school, and particularly wow. as men, yeah. So I think this idea of social resilience as opposed to the heroic individual resilience that we often see in movies, you know, you know jumping off of buildings, and that's a foundation, but it doesn't take us as far as social resilience. Have you guys seen the movie The Queen's Gambit? Oh, yeah. Yes. Yeah. So lovely story, partially based in, in history, partially fictional, about how a girl with a terrifically bad childhood learns to develop personal resilience and get almost to the top of the chess world, but can't get all the way there. She's in Moscow competing in the World Chess Championship, about ready to melt down mentally, psychologically, because of the pressure. What happens, she gets an unexpected phone call from a group of friends in New York City, and they talk her off the ledge. They help her think through her strategies. What would being at your best look like? And it's that social resilience that she gets from talking to friends 
that then takes her to the top, wins the championship. And I love that scene in the movie because what it says is, as powerful as personal resilience is, social resilience is what gets us even farther. Yeah. And I, I guess you can't develop that social resilience without being social, without reaching out and practicing in the context of bringing people together. Exactly. And so what, what I do in the coaching that got built off of my, my research was say, let's look at the three components of social resilience that emerge from talking with a friend when it is going well for you. The first step is you gain clarity. The second step is you make a deeper connection that moves you forward. And the third step is you commit to an action or a pattern that in some ways takes you higher in your quest to be at your best than if you had simply stayed talking to yourself. So we, we, we observed that couples who did not speak to one another, particularly during times of change, reported really high levels of depression, anxiety. Couples who did find a way of talking to each other about the reality, and, and this is where the first component, that getting clarity, is so crucial. It's taking off your rose-colored glasses and saying we're no longer on our honeymoon. We now have bills to pay. We have a mortgage. We have this. We have that. And being very honest and authentic about what those changes are doing to the relationship, are doing to my own psyche. And I think this is where we as men um, have more work to do to be able to get to that level of seeking clarity. I don't know about you guys, but I, I'm selective in who I go to seek to find clarity, to challenge my ideas of, of the world. Because sometimes we go to people who will just confirm what we already believe to be true. Yeah, and I, I guess when I was talking to you about this podcast, one of the things in the back of my mind was, I worry that people will see the topic and think this is simply about finding a friend who will confirm what has worked for you in the past. And too many of us use friendship to confirm where we've been rather than helping us to see where we need to be going. I, I almost, I'm going to take a step, a step back. I almost sometimes even have a hard time starting the conversation. Let's say if it's a good friend, you know, who, you know, I do sports with or, you know, someone that, you know, is in my neighborhood to even broach past the, how are you doing? How's the weather? You know, what's going on with your stocks or, or you know, whatever it is, how you take that next step and once or twice, you know, if I have done it, sometimes I get a shocked look like, hey, th this isn't a subject we talk about. Th this isn't in our realm of friend friendship. So thoughts on that, Jason and, and Eric? Yeah, look, I think it's a great question, Chris. Uh, for me, I think there's a couple of things that kind of mix together in a nice, um, unhelpful stew. Uh, and partly is, um, you know, I feel because I feel unpracticed, I feel like I'm going to, to be awkward and, and, and look foolish. So that that's part of it. But the other part of it is even just in talking to someone, given I know I have uh, a fairly lucky life and, and, a, and a happy life, I feel guilty, guilty in having these feelings and in burdening someone else with them. Hmm. Could I offer an alternative? 
because I do think that knowing how to start the conversation is one of the most difficult mm -hmm. aspects of this whole thing. Where do I start and not come off sounding canned or like I'm a pseudotherapist, whatever like that. Um, I have two people in my life. One is my neighbor um, and the other is a colleague uh, in the U.S., both of whom couldn't be more different from me in their political views. And I, I make it a, a, a ritual of listening to them talk about their politics, their philosophy of governance and things before I wade in with mine. Because what I'm really wanting to do is get in the practice of deepening my ears to listen for what's the reality that they're working with. Um, I find myself, for efficiency's sake, living in a bubble. I only watch, when I go to a gym, I only watch certain TVs above the treadmill. I don't, if it's on another channel, you know, forget it. I'm not going there. So we all have our bubbles. The challenge is to listen to a friend who comes from a different bubble and then start to gain clarity about why is it that we see the world so differently and starting a conversation with respect because you are talking to a friend. So I don't know how often you find yourself listening before speaking to find out where those differences really matter. But to me, that's a very easy way to get started into this path. I mean, I'll be honest, I, I don't, particularly now, I don't find myself talking to friends even that much or, or in a position to listen to friends. So I, I feel like my capacity to build that muscle, I need to push through it and, and go do that more. Yeah, if anything that we've learned from lockdown uh, over this past year is that personal resilience only takes us so far. And I mentioned that earlier. So it's it really gets to the point where even the most introverted among us recognize, uh, to Chris's point, that we are social beings and that social beings involve this dialogue, both sides listening to each other. And I think that that has become trickier, at least in my experience over the last year, that's become trickier as people get more polarized, their bubbles become more rigid, less transparent. That does make greater barriers. And I think as a result, we see not only individuals, but whole cities, nations becoming less psychologically resilient. You know, the headlines about riots breaking out in, in the Netherlands, possibly leading to a type of uncivil war. That's just another example of the decline in psychological resilience because people don't know how to talk and listen to a friend who disagrees with them. Yeah. We all work with an individual who was locked up and didn't have human touch for what was it? It was like eight months. And it was interesting hearing him talk and say, you know, I've had six, seven months here where I have not been touched or hugged by another human being and the impact it had on him. So not just, you know, social discussion, talking with a friend, but, you know, you know, just being together is so key to who we are as, as individuals and especially as men, which, you know, nowadays it's not like we're big huggers or we see each other, we shake hands, which we don't even do now, but it, it is, I think, key and important. So does the research back that up that, you know, we, we do need that. Yeah. And, and it's interesting, Chris, how little it takes to start creating a virtuous cycle of being at our best by talking to a friend. Uh, two days ago, I took my 92-year-old mother-in-law to get her COVID vaccine, the first shot. 
and there were a dozen other people in the pharmacy all waiting for her. As, as I began to talk with people, what became very clear was nobody had an easy time figuring out how to get registered. It's, it's just a broken system. The pharmacy notified my physician that I had come in. They, they had an empty spot. They, they gave me a jab. He immediately called me and said, I am so frustrated. I don't know how to give good advice to my patients about how to find the vaccine. Could you possibly tell me how you got it done, what worked, and what and stuff like that? And so I wound up having a conversation with my physician that I had never had before, where we were basically two learners seeking to help each other so that we could help other people get their health questions answered. And I think that this, this sometimes is seen as intimidating to men in particular, that how do I know how to start a conversation? How do I know how to make it go somewhere? Trust the process. Uh, if you honestly seek to be clear about where you stand, where the other person stands, it's amazing what can come out of that good intent. Yeah. So it sounds like there's something around this idea of that little bit of vulnerability it can send a signal that kind of creates a virtuous cycle that builds trust. So whilst in your situation, Eric, someone was just a little bit vulnerable. Yeah. And you're in a situation also where you might be a little vulnerable because you don't know either. But that shared moment of vulnerability can uh, create a level of trust quite quickly that allows for the conversation to mature. Yeah. And I think, Chris, you, you speak very well about the neuroscience of vulnerability and what's going on in our brains. And people like Dr. Brene Brown and others have really identified that taking that risk does lead to an opening of social richness that we would not find if we didn't put that risk there. Am I saying that in the right way? Well, absolutely. And, and I think the key here, let, let's bring this down, you know, so that everybody be like, how do I do that? It's, it's just asking those questions and opening yourself up beyond the, you know, hi, how are you doing? How's the job going? But like, hey, how are you really doing? You know, what, or even just, what are you struggling with right now? And, and let me give you an example. I got together in our neighborhood. There's about um, 16 young men um, and we often get together and we'll, you know, once a week play sports or do something. And it's kind of like a mentorship type of thing. And for the first time we sat down in preparation kind of for this podcast and I asked them, tell me one thing that isn't going well and tell me one thing that is going well in your life right now. And what was amazing is the first thing they did is said, you know, here's what's going well. Basketball game went well this week or, you know, my schooling, even though it's online, went well. But when they got to the one thing that wasn't going well, they somewhat struggled. But once one person did it, here's the amazing. Once one person said, hey, I'm really struggling right now. My girlfriend broke up with me. It really makes me sad. You know, we don't have dances. And a lot of times I'm sitting at home now where I never sat at home in the evening. It was amazing how that one small question or moment opened up the vulnerability, opened up the ability for us to be empathetic. I, I am not known for being a great listener. Good thing my wife, wife can't, can't hear because she would be clapping in the background, you know, because I have, right, I always have so much to share, but it is a matter of, even if I need it to ask those questions first, and see how they're doing because it's always going to come back around. I think it is key to our happiness to be able to do that, even though it's so hard to start. It's uncomfortable to, you know, to do that. Yeah. But I think what I like about what you're saying there, Chris, is 
you know, sometimes the word vulnerability makes it sound like we have to pour our heart out, but actually it can be a simple um, moment of honesty, a, a small risk of sharing something that makes you feel a little uncomfortable. It can just be a question, a moment of, of shared honesty that um, allows us to build the muscle of vulnerability individually, but collectively as well. Yeah. I love where you're going with this, both of you, because simply having a conversation that brings clarity is helpful, but it has to go further. And that's where that moment of vulnerability takes you into what in our research really came out as intimacy. In other words, you come away, like your 16 men did, you come away with the sense that somehow the level of connectivity between the two of you has deepened or been enriched in a way that wasn't there before. Um, I remember coaching an executive of a global beverage company. Uh, this was in uh, India. And they had real trouble with the local farmers, basically going up in arms, burning down property of the company because of the issue of water. The beverage company needed water, but the farmers needed water as well. And, and my advice to the executive was, how much time have you spent listening to the farmers versus listening to your corporate leaders in another country altogether? That single conversation turned out to be huge because he and his team started listening to the people who were closest to the water and the ground. And there was a vulnerability that said, we may not have all the answers. Let us listen to your situation. Finding that way to create more connectivity, more connection, is absolutely one of the touchstones that somehow this idea of talking to a friend is becoming a virtuous cycle. I love that notion that we're talking about talking to a friend, but in, inherent in that is listening to a friend. Yeah. And, and just that can be helpful to, to me. So even if I'm not feeling great and I get on a call and I, and I just listen and listen uh, fully to someone, uh, that, that can be helpful to me as well as it could be helpful to the other person. And I, I think great minds to go out, that's exactly what I was gonna say, because I noticed when we were together that we didn't have to solve a problem. You know, oftentimes I'm always trying to solve, you know, people's problems, a lot of the work that we, we do for corporate, but just being like, wow, that must be hard and listening for me was a reminder and profound to, you know, people just want to be heard. Now, Eric, what, what was the third thing? So you said there were, there were three things um, that were most useful. So gaining clarity was the first, which involves being willing to you know check your assumptions and beliefs two was making the deeper connection creating a kind of of intimacy vulnerability that leads to more forward-looking thinking talking working together so the third component is making a commitment and what do we mean by that it means out of the conversation that you're having with your friend you now start to see an action or a pattern of behavior that could move you forward rather than simply staying in status quo. Um, there's a marvelous American author, Glennon Doyle, and she's written about her own journey of discovering 
you know, the things that blocked her from living her full potential and being in her identity. And, and one of the things that she found so helpful in talking to friends was they gave her a way to grow quiet when she listened and really focus on what she didn't know that she knew, but it was there if she just allowed herself to hear it. So she talked about, if not this, which is staying in status quo, what about that? And that's where the way of knowing that comes from being in dialogue with a friend. So deciding to make a commitment is that final step because it really puts into action, makes visible what this friendship is all about. I hope that makes sense because that's, that's actually a real piece of courage that has to bring the conversation full cycle. So, so now I'm sitting in the, in the chair of, of being the other person. So let's, in the unlikely event that Chris comes to me and says, uh, let's have a conversation. I've got some things to share. And, and we, create, <laughs> we create some clarity. We've got the clarity. We've had a, God forbid, we've had an intimate moment and uh, shared some vulnerability. And, and now I want to help Chris move to some action. So in that moment, what's my thing here? Do, do I just want to ask questions? Or, or can I make a suggestion, give some advice? What's the right balance here? Right. I think you and I have actually had a conversation about this before where we observe people who are working in organizational settings. And, and there is a, a spectrum on a lever between advocacy or inquiry. And, and some people are just naturally at home, constantly advocating, promoting, uh, it, it, they wake up with ideas that they want to share with people and influence people. Others of us are more comfortable asking questions to see what emerges from that. Both are necessary. And that's really one of the things that I have found resists easy paint by number or coaching by number things that says always do more advocacy, always do more inquiry. It's an art form. And so I think, you know, the acid test for me is, does it feel like the more I talk with you, the clearer I become about my own voice and my own actions, or am I simply being asked to parrot what you think is best for me? And I think sometimes, you know, spouse to spouse relationship, friend to friend, boss to employee, that dynamic is really tricky to pay attention to if it's not working well, because it keeps us from being at our best. And it shuts down the desire for more conversation. Yeah, but I guess we we know it right when we're not getting the balance right. Right. We either know it because no one wants to share with us. Uh, maybe we're advocating too strongly, or, or people feel. Uh, you know, I've had people in the past say to me, uh, "Well, it feels like I'm in a therapy session," and and I realize, well, you know, perhaps I'm asking too much, setting up the conditions of therapy rather than just having a conversation with a with a buddy yeah and, and again I, you know chris you could you could weigh in on on the neuroscience of decision making you know and and what is it that tips us to make a commitment to start a new pattern of behavior there is that vulnerability that says what got me here won't necessarily get me to where i need to be going and i and i think Having a friend who will hold you accountable to that is a real gift. Oh, I, 
I agree. And in a world that we live in, you know, 2020, so much is changing. We need to adapt. As we look at talking with friends and just hearing what, what you and Jason were talking about, how imperative it is to talk with friends, share ideas, whether it be about career, whether it be about finances, whether it be about, you know, I don't know which way I'm going. It could be about relationships. Because as you said there, you're getting a sharing of ideas that bring out the skills of, you know, curiosity, um, courage, innovation, creativity of thoughts that I may not be thinking about myself, but as we're sharing and going back and forth, then you may get ideas that my brain connects and, and we know around creativity and curiosity that the brain and synapses are connecting many different parts of the brain, which pull together all of our different experiences to bring about new ideas. Um, you know, new dreams, new adventures, new things that we can think of. So is, is that applicable in the talking with a friend that, hey, it covers everything from relationships and social belonging to, hey, solving problems and, and you said, which we can come back to in a minute, that, that neuroscience of decision making, helping make better decisions in a world that is changing that I may have to make quicker or make more often than I did even in 2019. You alluded to something earlier that it's so true that in our communication style, most men tend to be comfortable in a problem-solving framework. You know, and our spouses will give us lots of feedback about, um, I don't always need you to be giving me advice. Uh, and, and my wife and I were out driving yesterday, checking out the snowfall that was in the mountains. It's just beautiful. And she said, I just need to run something by you, but promise me you won't get into problem-solving mode. So what, that was her way of saying, I would like to talk with you as a friend. I would like to get clarity and have a feeling you've heard me, but I'd like the chance to you know, noodle on this in order to figure out what do I want to commit to next? Because I know something, she said, I know something has to change. I'm just not sure yet. And she didn't want me to short circuit that discovery process by being the problem solver. So I think sometimes that third step can be really a challenge for us to allow the other person to have the space to make the commitment in their own way, in their own time. Our job is to help hold that for them so that they don't rush too quickly. I've made some really bad financial decisions because people pressured me thinking that they were, had my best interest in mind. You know, and, and in hindsight, it was like, I wish they had just said, no, I don't need to solve your buying or selling decision. I just need to give you time to think through that more deeply. So I think that you know that's a wonderful gift when you can phone a friend and it's not immediately jumping into problem solving. But it's actually, okay, so let's unpack what might be the most growthful thing for you to consider next. Think about it, let's come back to the conversation if necessary. Can I throw in some quick neuroscience there just so people realize the importance of of why you should talk to a friend as we're talking about now, because when we look at decision-making and, and your example, Eric, is perfect, you know, if it's being rushed, is that there's a whole lot at play in the brain when making decisions. It could be fear state, you know, I'm making decisions based upon fear. It could be a reward, I'm making decisions based upon, hey, these are the rewards I want. And then intermixed in all that are biases like loss aversion, like, oh, I've gone to school for this long, or I've worked at this job this long, or I've been in the relationship this long. Is it worth changing? Do I make that decision to change when I've invested so much time and, and where, you know, where do I make that decision? So there's so much going on in the brain with decision making that, as you said, Eric, first of all, we need time, 
But that ability to talk with a friend and talk it out and, and let the prefrontal cortex, that decision-making part of our brain where we really think analytically, we make good decisions, we analyze all of the information, and a lot of times it's less emotional, you know, based upon, oh, I really want this, I'll look cool, or it'll make me popular, or, you know, it's a social status power thing, to, hey, you know, I need to make a really good decision. Talking with a friend is sometimes some of the best things that we can do because you get new ideas, you're able to go through the information and just get yourself more time and more of that prefrontal cortex to make a really good decision. So, I mean, we're, we're sitting here looking at all the best reasons to talk to a friend, social-wise, relationship-wise, making decision-wise. So um, a, a, I think it's an important topic that we need to talk about. Yeah. Now, fellas, I know that we could talk about this all night long, uh, which, is, which is ironic given that I said that I find it difficult <laughs> to do and yet here here we are and it's so easy uh but we we must conclude at some point um which has been a delight um, eric from, from your point of view like, like what's the one thing what's the one sort of message that you would leave as a takeaway uh for for people like me who who do find it tough yeah so the, the touchstone for me again like you i'm highly selective is can I find the conversation that is going to, at the end of the day, really make a difference in my life? That keeps me from withdrawing altogether, even though it, it's so convenient in this age of lockdown, etc. But my touchstone is, can I find a conversation that helps to move me forward? If, if, if you can use that as the question that gives you a check and balance and if you then realize, wow, it's been a month since I've had a conversation that has helped me move my thinking forward, helped me adapt to the changes, to the constraints that we're in in 2020, 2021, then that's a real wake-up call. So simply checking yourself, have I had a conversation that has helped to move me forward recently? And if it's so hard to remember a specific instance, that probably is your clue. Time to start looking for somebody to have a chat with. Eric, it has been an absolute joy to have you on this podcast. It is a pleasure to, to have you as a friend. We must do this again. Absolutely. So, so many good insights. You guys are great friends. I really have enjoyed this time together. Thanks for taking the initiative and starting this conversation. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. Thanks, Eric. It's good to see you. Chris, what a great conversation. What are you thinking? Okay, I'm, I'm thinking, first of all, so many good takeaways. One of the best takeaways is how important it is and key it is to our happiness, our well-being, our life fulfillment and meaning to be sure that we have a couple people in our lives that we can reach out and call and talk to. And if we don't have them, you know, working in, in creating those types of relationships because it, it is key. We, we all need them. As much as we may tell ourselves we don't, Yeah, we all need those, those people. So it's a great reminder to have those. Yeah, you know, you know what was sparking for me as well is when, when I think about, particularly in the last year, which has been tough and we have been socially isolated and, and I think, oh, you know, who are those people in my life? Well, I know they're there. I just haven't really reached out enough and, and it doesn't have to be a reach out call to let them know that, you know, I'm struggling. It can just be just in, in having the call and talking about life and being honest and open and just 
catching up with people, that can be the start that, that just makes you feel a little happier and builds that muscle of connectivity with others. And the last thing for me is uh, this, this notion uh, Eric talked about, you know, ha having some commitment at the end of, of a conversation, even if it's not a conversation about um, with any depth, but just leaving it with something that helps move things forward. And it might just be the relationship or it might be something inside yourself. When there's a commitment, there's a learning, there's a learning component there. And when there's a learning component there, it's the brain saying to itself and beginning to look and say, hey, how can I take what I learned, you know, what this commitment is, you know, some information I discovered and do something with it. I love that commitment part because your brain, my brain loves to learn. It loves to feel like it's developing and I'm moving forward in life. And when we commit certain actions, it releases all those great chemicals of, hey, you're doing good things. You're moving ahead. You're, you're improving who you are. It's been a joy. Can't wait for the next episode. All right. Talk to you soon. Thank you.